You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 325. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Onniko Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son, hey, son! Finally! Yeah! <laughs> Annika, back! Great! Yes, great. I'm back! How is you? Me is fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. good, good. I'm still having a bit of like, a bit of a sore voice in a way. Uh, yeah. But I think that will just take a bit of time. And now I just didn't want to miss out on more episodes. No. <laughs> yeah, sure. No. I was just like, nah, if, if, if I can make it, I have to make it, no matter how my voice sounds. <laughs> Maybe it was the yeah. ad for your replacement that made you come tonight, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no, no, I should... should uh. All right. I almost did not make it tonight because just half an hour ago, I turned over a full mug of tea over my table here. Oh. And all you know, there are iPads, there are uh, memory readers, there are things. And then I, 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 I panicked and I, I, I made a mess and then I tried to fix it and I thought I had fixed it. And, and then I heard a little dripping noise. Uh, turns out my table is so old and poor <laughs> that it actually has cracks in it and it was <laughs> dripping down on my computer below the table. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if I get a, an electric shock um, during the recording, you know why that is. That sounds like a Mythbuster episode if I ever heard it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, congratulations on the, on that move. I think it's... <laughs> Pretty oh, awesome, oh, yeah. <laughs> by, by the way, huh? I'm sure that in all seriousness... Congratulations are in order, right? To me? Yes. Oh, you think... Oh, yeah, yeah. We. I almost forgot. Uh, this <laughs> Saturday, we had the annual meeting of the Swedish skeptics, the VOF, okay. VOF, VOF.se, if anybody wants to visit our webpage. Yes. So there was this annual meeting, and I was re-elected as president, and uh, they increased the board a little bit. So we are now 11 people on the board, all very good people, I am looking forward to working with them mm -hmm. for another year. It'll be great. Great. <laughs> Amazing <Pontus>. stuff. <laughs> it was so good to meet people in real life as well. <laughs> for real life. <laughs> yeah, some of us have met once or twice since, or maybe just once since the pandemic. But now this was a not a huge thing. People were still staying home to a large extent. So about 30 people showed up for the annual meeting. Oh, that's quite a large yeah. crowd. <laughs> right. I, I consider I consider it a, right a crowd because <laughs> nowadays, whenever we try to launch an event with personal attendance, people don't show up. I mean, they show up in large numbers when it's an online thing, mm. but uh, yeah, people still don't really care much about uh, our in-person presence. Which is um, understandable in one way, but I'm not sure it's because they are afraid to contract something or anything like that. I think it has more to do with the mindset that it's, it's better to just stay home, sit in front of the computer <laughs> yeah, and they're out not of do practice. anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a social... We usually are around 40 to 50 people in, in mm -hmm. on the annual meeting. So this, this was a small one, but we got it done. Uh, Scotty and I sometimes call that our social muscle, and it just has to be practiced and exercised. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. 
But um, yeah, speaking of um, crowds, go <laughs> crowds <laughs> and things that don't go according to plan. Uh. Vladimir Putin talking in front of a massive crowd, but Orban doesn't seem to have been right about uh, what anything. he said to the to the Pope, mm. not and anything <laughs> <laughs> for that matter. But uh, yeah, we did mention that he had said to the Pope that Putin would end the war on um, Victory Day, on the 9th of uh, May. Well, didn't happen, unfortunately. No. Well, we were all hoping for that to happen, but it didn't. Mm. Yeah. So, first of all, fuck you, Orban. The other thing is that fuck you, Putin. Um, <laughs> should probably consider becoming an actual leader and not this warmongering oversized oh my undersized general with uh, well questionable motives and questionable results yeah, yeah. I want to talk about something that made More me positive? happy. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> All <laughs> <Just> for it. <laughs> dragging dragging the mood up yeah, good, <laughs> from good. out of out of the sadness because there's a press conference to happen on the 12th of May. So, it will have happened yesterday when the episode comes out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the press conference is about results of the Event Horizon Telescope by mm-hmm. ESO, European Southern Observatory. And they want to show their results of the center of our own Milky Way, of the black hole Ooh. that they think it's there. Okay, when are we going? <laughs> um, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so yeah, I'll be really excited to see that. And we'll probably give an update on that in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, great. Great, great. But speaking of space, I came across this Norwegian project that I just <laughs> think we have to mention. It sounds absolutely like a joke, but apparently... There is a project run by the Norwegian Space Agency. Have you heard of them? No. Mm-hmm. They are called Norsk Rumcenter in Norwegian. Sounds good. And <laughs> what they're going to do is to breed salmon in space. Yes, that's right. What? Fish. Why in space? space that's salmon. a very good question. <laughs> Sounds very fishy to me. <laughs> very fishy. They call this program, quote, Norwegian Fish in Space, end quote. <laughs> Great. For me, that sounds like a kid book to happen. Yeah, you know, yeah, like Space yeah, yeah. Salmon. I, I couldn't believe it. It's, apparently, it's for real. It's done in collaboration with ESA, the European Space Agency. And the purpose <laughs> is to supply future astronauts with a source of protein in hmm. space. Actually, okay. smart. <laughs> so there have been apparently small experiments in the past with aquarium fish, just tiny fish, no good to eat. But uh, long term, we're now talking about large-scale salmon farms in space if the Norwegians get their way. So they're (laughs) going to breed them in closed systems because salmon apparently can do that. You can recycle the water somehow. And that is very important. But getting water from Earth up to space is very, very expensive because it's heavy. That's true. Yeah. 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 Um, Another very good use for the salmon comes to mind. Mm-hmm. When all the dolphins leave the earth, uh, <laughs> they have something to feed on. <laughs> oh, Douglas Adams, we miss you. <laughs> all right. That line, so long and thanks for all the fish. Thanks it, for all the fish, yeah. It brings a totally new meaning to this. <laughs> um, so. I didn't make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
yeah, I prefer your way of kicking the show out. So um, let's continue that kind of spirit as we go through our usual segments. From fish to twist, right? Ooh, <laughs> Annika is back. Great. <laughs> ah, that was brilliant. So yes, Twish, which is this week in Skeptical History. Well, it is part of skeptical history, or at least skeptical calendars, because this story is of interest to skeptics all across the world. The thing that we're celebrating is the 13th of May, because on the 13th of May 1917, the first of six apparitions of the Virgin Mary occurred in a place that's called Cova da Iria, civil parish of Fátima in central Portugal. So the, well, ghost lady is referred to today as Nossa Senhora de Fátima, or in English, Our Lady of the Holy Rosary of Fátima. And uh, what happened was there were two, uh, no, not two, three young shepherds, all related, Lucia dos Santos at the age of 10, and her cousins, uh, Francisco Martu and Jacinta Martu, eight and seven years of age, respectively. And they were out on the fields taking care of sheep. And although back in the spring of 1916, they had already been seeing an angel. <laughs> well, three times they saw that. But then on May the 13th, 1917, they saw, and I quote, Lady more brilliant than the sun, end quote. Mm. And she was uttering the prophecy that prayer would help end the Great War, which was raging at the moment. So we are in 1917, in the middle of the First World War. They were asked to come back again the same day every month and use the Holy Rosary to pray. And then in October, they would see the miracle that will make everyone believe. <laughs> but they were still children, right? So... Obviously, they couldn't do whatever they wanted, so uh, the parents and uh, many of the adults around them not necessarily trusted them with the story to be true. At the beginning, they decided not to tell the story anyway, but I think it was Lucia who decided to go for one version of the story, but it, be it, it basically came out, the whole thing. But because of the, well, control and influence of the parents and uh, all the adults, they couldn't keep up the schedule for a while. But as word started spreading about the events as they occurred month after month, by October 13th, the whole population of the town, and then some, were there to witness what is often referred to as the miracle of the sun. A bright event. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> The large crowd, about 30,000 people, got properly rained on first. Then the sun broke the clouds and shed a spinning, multicolored light. For some reason, it makes me associate this with uh, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream code, but uh, I, I don't know why that is. <laughs> wrong myth, but the same... same Wrong myth, but the same culture. <laughs> yes. so, but when the, the sun finally spinned back to place, because it was spinning like crazy, obviously dried everyone in the process instantaneously, that was basically the extent of the miraculous event that happened <laughs> and there wasn't even a complete agreement on how the events went down exactly but this was a part of the story that uh, really stuck well there could be several explanations as to why these could be the accounts why people thought that they were seeing something absolutely miraculous whereas 
you wouldn't think so just being outside in a late summer storm and see all these events. But whatever, never mind. No matter what, the Catholic Church, specifically the local bishop back in 1930, announced that the events were, quote-unquote, worthy of belief. (laughs) So, So that's 13 years later. 13 years later, okay. and Pope Pius Twelfth had the sculpture of the Virgin that was already present in uh, Fatima, or Fatima in Portuguese. Portuguese listeners could probably correct me on the pronunciation. You know as, the drill. <laughs> yeah, you know the drill. Just send, send it over to me. Just had a chat the other day with uh, Diana Barbosa. So, Diana, I'm counting on you. <laughs> so... Pope Pius XII had the sculpture of the Virgin officially or canonically coronated in 1946, so another 16 years later. Obviously, it happened on the 13th of May, and it's still in the chapel of the apparitions of Fatima. As you would imagine, religious tourism got a real kick out of this, and and it's the main economic drive of the place up until this day. Millions of tourists come every year, and yet only 13,000 people live in Fatima. And four popes have paid visits. Paul VI in 1967. John Paul II visited three times in 1982, 1991, and 2000. Benedict XVI in 2010. And Francis. Frankie was there in uh, 2017 as well. I wonder if they all stared into the sun when they were there or... (laughs) Yeah, just to try to cry or something. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. No, just creating some blind spots. Don't don't look into the sun, people. That's stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. And dangerous dangerous as well. So Jacinta and Francisco died only a year after the event in 1918 and 19, respectively. Uh, They were then beatified by John Paul II in 2000 and canonized by Pope Francis. Wow. On, can you guess the date? 13th of May. 13th of May. (laughs) Yeah, 2017, when he was visiting. (laughs) (laughs) So it was the 100th anniversary of the the first event. Six of these apparitions happened, and as a result, Lucia became a nun, after having released some of the secrets that she had learned from the Virgin Mary. And uh, she lived up until the age of 97. So she died in 2005. You would think that the process of her canonization has already started, which it has, but with a couple of glitches. So on the 13th of February 2017, she was given the title The Servant of God, which is considered the first major step towards the canonization. So it is happening, but she is lagging far, far behind the other ones. But uh, in terms of dying, they had more than 80 years of (laughs) advantage. Oh, man. Yeah. So on the 13th of May 1917, this happened. The first apparition of the Virgin Mary. Or someone, or at least a a brilliant lady. (laughs) More brilliant than the sun. And it's actually very interesting to try and list a couple of things that could be linked to this in terms of psychological effects and psychological things going on in people's minds. The fact that millions of tourists are visiting... So yeah, it, it, but it's, it became... it's still very much a current story because, uh, as you remember, maybe Francis used this event or this legend just a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or something to yeah. try to stop the war between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, it didn't really work, but um, no. he tried. 
No, no, no. <laughs> Maybe because the next 13th of May is a Friday the 13th. Ooh. Is it? It yeah. is. If you're listening to when this comes out, it is uh, Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, that's right. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's remarkable. Absolutely yeah, remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> it will have so much influence on everything. Yeah, absolutely. The whole universe. So let's move on. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's only fitting that uh, we are evoking Pope Francis, right? So are you going to poke him for something this week, Pontus? Uh, no Pope today. I'm sorry. Uh, there's nothing much to report that mm. we haven't covered before, except that I just saw, just before we started recording, that he has now, Frankie has lined up a new batch of saints to canonize. So there's 10 saints to be announced very shortly. And I haven't had time to read, read up on that, so uh, it'll have to keep to next week. And Lucia dos Santos is not among them. I don't think so. I was trying to <laughs> quickly scan the list here, but I don't think she is there. But I think the next step would be her beatification anyway. So it's Right, for, yeah, uh, she has one, can, one step yeah. to go before she can go. Yeah, yeah, you cannot cut corners. It's the Catholic Church people. It's not that easy. <laughs> you have to follow the process. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that means that we are moving on to the news. And uh, I want to talk about European populism and if that's linked to vaccine hesitancy. Wow, that's a good start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle. <laughs> German, we would say on the 12th, like just in the middle. Like. Ah, okay. So there was a study published in the European Journal of Public Health. They've wanted to find out if there's a link between vaccine hesitancy and populism. Because vaccine hesitancy is a threat to public health. They also wanted to know if it's also linked to populist parties. The group of vaccine hesitants in a lot of European countries is big enough to risk herd immunity, and that's why that's important. Like, that's why we're actually talking about that. Interestingly enough, political orientations, and now that's that's the results, political orientations, so left or right, are not strongly linked to it, but it's associated with an anti-elite worldview. So... It's not if you're like a Nazi or a punk (laughs) or whatever, (laughs) Um, just this name to extremes, you won't automatically be a vaccine hesitant person. It's more if you hate the elite. It also is rather associated with culturally closed views than with cosmopolitan views. That's also something that is pretty much, I think, understandable. But what we learn of that because it's rooted in worldview and not in misperceptions about the health risks, the interventions need to be changed. Because it doesn't help if we only say like, oh yeah, it's actually not harmful because it's rooted in a, in a different system. You can't weed the plant by not attacking the, the root. What the results also show is that it's really not consistently associated with populist parties. It's really this elite worldview that is the most defining factor and yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah all right new topic so many times we have talked about how hard it is to measure the real death toll from covid yeah so most official reports are based on deaths reported from the hospitals and by doctors but it's impossible to really get a consi- consistent classification is it dying with COVID, from COVID, or after having had COVID. 
And that's just one part of the problem. Countries are also more or less good in collecting statistics. By the end of December last year, the official number of deaths were just above 5 million globally. But now there is a new report based on excess deaths instead. So excess death is how many more deaths that have happened compared to the expected number of deaths in each country or region. The study was done in collaboration with WHO and the UN. The report shows that excess deaths due to COVID is somewhere between 13.3 to 16.6 million as of end of December 2021. So you can average it out. There's a span, but it's probably around 15 million deaths or so. That's almost three times as many as the usually reported number. And then, of course, you can't compare the numbers straight on with each other since uh, counting excess deaths also include deaths that are indirectly related to the pandemic. But in a way, that is more informative than the, the, the other figures. We have talked about Spain, for instance, that had an excess death that was twice the number of the official number of COVID deaths. So that begs the question, what did the other half die from if it wasn't covid very likely it was COVID, which just wasn't counted. Sweden, on the other hand, had about the same number of COVID deaths as they had excess deaths. So that means that they are counting differently somehow, or that maybe that the statistics were collected using other principles or more thoroughly or more accurately. I'm not sure. And of course, this report opens up again the old debate of Sweden's supposedly terrible COVID strategy. This debate will not end by this, but one can see that Sweden only had half the number of deaths compared to countries like the UK, like Germany, Italy, and only about a third, or just over a third, of the number in the US. And there are uh, other countries that did much, much worse. The other Nordic countries all did better than Sweden, and I'm sure that will be continued to be analyzed why that was, why that is. Well, the discussion continues, I'm sure. But I think it's very important to realize that the number of COVID deaths that you've heard, 5 million, and now I think it's over 6 million, that's not all of it. Uh, There are a number of side effects. There are a number of uh, things that depend on hospitals being available and they were not available or they were fully booked, if you will, so that other things happened. That was very bad. So 15 million, give or take. Hmm. Yeah, wow. That's jarring. It sounds terrible, but it can be made to sound even more terrible if it's uh, all linked to some kind of a misinformation schedule, right? Or used for disinformation campaigns. And this is what needs to be researched and needs to be understood properly in order for us to be able to fight it. Hmm. Our listeners probably remember a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed Peter Kreko, who's the executive director of Political Capital, an independent uh, political research organization. And uh, they do a lot of research into stuff like uh, disinformation campaigns and the dissemination of misinformation. We often talk about how online trolling and online trolls can stir the public opinion and how they can completely derail a conversation online, like on Facebook. So it's it's a well-known thing. We need to conduct more research 
to understand it. And this is what they did. They used data available from four different countries. Those countries are the so-called V4s. Do you know what a, what a Visegrad 4 group mm. of countries is within the EU? No, I it's, don't. Um, no. <laughs> Visegrad is um, Hungarian, so it's the Visegrad Treaty that were signed in uh, Visegrad. And it's Hungary, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, and Poland. It's the former Eastern European countries that were formerly in the socialist bloc, and uh, they kind of stick together. Well, this this is now, in a way, being completely destroyed by Orban and his attitude. <laughs> Some tension. <laughs> because all the others are against... Putin and Putin's war, but Orban is not willing to do what's necessary to show strength against uh, Putin. So that was a side note. However, these four countries could be reached with um, the, the same kind of research methods. And what they did was they used a software that's called Senti1, and it's a monitoring software that they used on Facebook comments. And they queried a couple of words, the same words in all of these languages. And um, between the 21st of February and the 31st of March, with the exception of Hungary, where it was a little bit prolonged by only a week because of the elections held on the 3rd of April, they collected all the data and used an AI-based text mining method to find comments that were repeated at least a hundred times. What they were looking for is something that they call an inauthentic online behavior. By inauthentic, we mean that something that is not necessarily characteristic of a person engaging in an actual discussion, but something that is being promoted, something that is being pushed, the same easily understood message being pushed through comments. Interestingly, when they on the day when they published this material, it's available in English, by the way, so you will be able to check it out. So the fun thing is that on that very day, we had a commenter like that on our Facebook page. So it was like the same message copy-pasted into every single discussion below our Facebook posts. It was like a clear demonstration of what this article is and this research is all about. What they found out was there are several different actors they couldn't identify so what what, the other thing that they identified was fake accounts Mm -hmm. obviously so there are characteristics of a fake account that can be identified and they can be reported etc etc and one thing that is very clearly visible is that the comments that they copy paste they don't necessarily have anything to do with the actual ongoing debate yeah what they found was this inauthentic behavior shows the signs of being coordinated in all of these four countries. But the funny thing was that all four countries had a different kind of narrative to push, which is somewhat weird, at least to me, because what they found was that mostly in some of the countries like Hungary and even in the Czech Republic, it was more like Kremlin-friendly populistic message set. In Poland, they were posing as anti-Kremlin warriors, but attacking the Polish political elite and Poland's allies in the European Union in general. So it's a bit more sophisticated, but what's really interesting is the same kind of attitude and the same kind of coordinated characteristic of this activity 
could be seen in in Slovakia, but with a completely different set of messages, because the constantly repeated messages were mostly pro-West, but still coordinated and still showing the signs of um, coordinating attacks. Some of them, some of these messages were then shared by many authentic users as well. So the basic idea of these coordinated attacks is uh, apparently that whenever there is something that really hits home with authentic users, these authentic users will be resharing the messages, multiplying the reach of the message in the process. Okay, so um, why this is very important, I think, is because it shows exactly the mechanism of these networks of small crumbs of information to be affecting the public and general discourse. So that's something that is, well, very much cause for concern, but we have to be in the know about how it is being done so that we can try to inoculate people against it. And uh, one example of how this inoculation kind of thing has failed is that a recent Median survey came out and it turns out that Fidesz, the Hungarian ruling party of uh, led by Viktor Orban, so the supporters of Fidesz are very friendly towards Putin. They tend to like Putin more than any of the Western political leaders. Even though in a scale of 100, he only has a 47-point approval rate, but still only Donald Trump has a better approval rate of 56 among the Fidesz supporters in Hungary. (laughs) So that is a job well done from a technical point of view, I think, when it comes to stirring the public opinion towards uh, the Fidesz agenda. And uh, when the respondents were asked to what extent they think that someone is responsible for the war in Ukraine, they gave 74 points out of 100 to Volodymyr Zelensky, 75 points on a scale of 100 to the United States, and only 70 to Putin. Mm -hmm. That means that both the Americans and Zelensky are more responsible for this war than Vladimir Putin himself, who started this freaking war, remind you. Yeah. This is how much it can be stirred by all this online and offline activity is absolutely ridiculous. And when it comes to the opposition supporters, they consider Putin responsible 93 points out of 100, which is still lower than what I would expect. So... (laughs) There are three main issues that have been analyzed and identified by political capital and uh, the messages related to those issues. One of them is claiming that Ukraine as a country doesn't even exist. The other thing is that where were you when Kiev did bad things to others, to Russians, to Hungarians and all that? Well, Hungarians can relate to the difficult situation of Hungarian minorities in Ukraine, and that can really add to this um, opposition feeling. And NATO in Crimea and NATO creeping up on the East and on Russia. That's the other thing that is very frequently shared. So, and this is why I put it in one news item. These two things have a lot in common. These two things might have causal connection yeah. and well you know what i think no i think we need some good news yes <laughs> yes please i have some good news <laughs> the good news okay. is that vaccines are safe and effective Woohoo! 
Yay! <laughs> mm, nice. Yeah. So I'm talking <laughs> not about... Not a surprise there. Not much of a surprise <laughs> not, there. But, no, but it's good to have it proven once again. <laughs> Vaccines <laughs> against human papilloma virus, HPV, have been in mm -hmm. use for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And this is good because HPV can lead to cervical cancer and other complications. WHO now reports that statistics from countries that have achieved a high rate of HPV vaccination show real-world impacts of the vaccination. Sig significant reductions in HPV infections, reductions in precancerous cervical lesions, also known as CIN, and genital warts, and the latter can happen in females and males. HPV immunization programs have almost eliminated cervical cancer in women born since 1st of September 1995, and they were vaccinated around ages 12 or 13. Cervical cancer kills more than 30,000 people in the WHO Europe region every year. And Europe, as WHO defines this, is not the EU. It's a much larger area with Israel is there, some Kazakhstan, things that we don't normally think of as Europe. But anyway, 20 countries in this region achieved a vaccination rate over 50% in 2019 and 2020. I guess that's when they have the statistics from and eight countries were able to reach 80% or more. So WHO Europe is now developing what they call, quote, the roadmap to accelerate the elimination of cervical cancer as a public health problem in the WHO European region 2022 to 2023, or the <laughs> They really should work on their names, uh, <laughs> really. That, that was, they could have a, short, have a shorter name for that program, but it's a good one. And uh, they say that uh, this will outline a path based on universal and equitable access to HPV vaccination, to appropriate cervical cancer screening and timely diagnosis, and quality treatment and palliative care for all women. So they go on to say that these actions give them the opportunity to eliminate cervical cancer as a public health threat in the region. I think that's very optimistic, but that's what they're saying. And uh, let's just hope that they're right. But they're on the right track. Again, vaccinations work. Yeah, exactly. They do. Science bitches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now from science bitches to science for not bitches, but girls. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> yeah, okay. Not all girls are bitches and not all bitches are girls. Yes, very good. Uh, very true. important to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the question if girls don't study physics because the maths involved is too hard for them. <laughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. I'm going back to an article by Olivia Keenan and Jen Gupta and they in turn have written this article about a statement by the UK Chair of Government Social Mobility Commission. This chairperson said, from my own knowledge of these things, physics is not something that girls tend to fancy. They don't want to do it. There's a lot of hard maths in there that I think that they would r rather not do. And uh, yeah, to hear that from like a chairwoman is a bit sad. It is, well... In my opinion, that's not only bullshit, as we said in the start, but also victim blaming in a way. Yeah. 
there are like multiple reasons and they also say that in the article multiple reasons why um, girls don't choose physics and physics degrees and that's it's not about not wanting to do maths very often they have less support from teachers and parents and there are stereotypes of who takes these subjects and who's better in what yeah it's a cultural yeah and it doesn't have to do with math because almost 40 percent of the a-level exams in the uk in maths are girls 23 percent are physics so it can't be the maths that is involved in physics like do the math (laughs) (laughs) good it's interesting to see that through the teenage years boys are more likely than girls to say they would like to become scientists and there are also different expectations placed on students by the teachers so boys more often said that their teachers expected them to do well in science and that's not the case for girls girls often didn't feel clever enough although they had similar grades like literally similar grades felt not clever enough mm-hmm. and there are also of course the gender stereotypes that we all know that like boys are supposedly better in stem subjects while girls are supposedly better in languages that's something that even I went through in my in my school time. I always thought I couldn't do math. I was too like because I was a girl. And that's just so bad. And in the article they even give an example of pop culture, um, where you can also see that. The example they mentioned is Big Bang Theory. I was um, thinking of that. Yeah. I don't have an example ready, but that was the first yeah. thing that came to mind. Yeah, for everyone who doesn't know it, only later they have also a female scientist. And before that, they have, I think it's four male scientists, very smart and very nice, but kind of ditzy roommate or like flatmate. Mm. Yeah, who's the only girl for, for some time in that show. That's just like, of course, that's an exaggerated example, but this is what we have as girls as young woman, what we had and have in our brains. This is what we see. And that's why it's also so important that people like female scientists and female science communicators that they are seen because only what we see we can do. And it's it's so interesting to see that in single sex schools, more girls took physics, for example. <laughs> Mm. Like the moment they don't have like the pressure of gender stereotypes, more of them are taking um, physics degrees. So it's it's really important to remove those barriers for girls. And it's also important to, again, point out that there's no relationship between gender and STEM subjects like physics. Like there is nothing and uh, no one is um, smarter because they're girl or boy in regards of like STEM subjects or languages or whatever like this is just bullshit (laughs) yeah yeah there was a bit of a controversy uh here in hungary recently about the hungarian academy of sciences well accepting new members and out of 26 members that they appointed recently in the latest round there were zero women (laughs) That's a bit of an issue. The other thing is that there were massive debates over this. And it turns out the problem is there is a two-stage admission process. And uh, the first stage is that they become like a correspondent of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. And then they become elevated to the rank of proper member. And they they say that it's a problem from back in like six years ago when the last round of the correspondents were appointed yeah. so that's um it still shows you that we have a big problem yes 
And it also wasn't okay six years ago, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not for the lack of excellence in women in science here in Hungary. And especially like PhD candidates in larger numbers tend to be women, but it's um, it's a systematic problem. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, then I think it's time for all of us to find out finally who's been really wrong. Yeah, we are no fans of anthroposophy here at the ESP. Nope. <laughs> I, it's <laughs> frankly difficult to see why anybody believes in that in modern times. Mm -hmm. So wacky. And everything also shows that if you believe in one kind of nonsense, then you're likely to believe in other nonsense as well. So there is this guy called Harald Mattes. Is that... Roughly right, Annika, he's a German guy. <laughs> yeah, Harald Mattes. <laughs> Harald Mattes. He is the head of an anthroposophical Krankenhaus in Germany. And Krankenhaus means, well, it means hospital, but I think of crank when I hear about this. <laughs> but okay. As many anthropologists, Anthroposophs? Is that a is that a profession? You can <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anthroposophers, anthroposophians, or something like that. Anthroposophians. I like that. <laughs> like many of those, he doesn't like vaccinations, which is why he managed to sneak his way into a German TV program at a network called MDR or. Mitteldeutscher Rundfunk. Yes. <laughs> so I'm practicing okay. my German very, <laughs> very <good>. much today. <laughs> when he was there, he presented what he calls facts that show that severe side effects from COVID-19 vaccinations are much more common than the authorities want you to know or believe. Severe side effects are common and the authorities are lying to you. That was his message. And how does he know this? He has conducted his own research. Good for him. Nice. <laughs> you know, that never ends well. And he and do you know what he did? He has made an online survey where the victims themselves have reported their experiences without any fake filters from the government. Well, that's not biased at mm. all. No. no, 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 absolutely not. It's, <laughs> it's, it's legit. It's, it's completely it legit. That's so how science I, works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think everybody listening to this show understands how stupid this is and how this is as far from science that you can get. Everyone and his anti-vax uncle can report whatever nonsense <laughs> they want on this survey and there's no quality control, no checks. I'm sure that uh, Mr. or Herr Mattes understands this himself and how ridiculous this is but he wants to spread his message so it didn't stop him from getting on television and tell the public how quote things really are end quote yeah so uh, for being an anthroposophic charlatan and a spreader of unscientific misinformation Harad Mattes gets today's prize for being really wrong and the MDR network gets one for giving him a platform well deserved both You've recently developed like an affinity to hand out double. Yeah, why not? Really why? wrong. There's prices. so many people around. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I can't. You know, you can't keep up. Yeah. The alternative <laughs> is that we need to release this show every day, and um, that is a that little would bit. Still not so, give us enough uh, enough uh, yeah. <laughs> room. Just really yeah. wrong no, shorts. No. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that means that we have reached uh, the end of this episode. Meaning that there is one more thing to do. Hmm. A quote. Yes. Annika, have you got one for us? 
Yes. And this is a quote by Lucius Annaeus Seneca, who was a Roman mm -hmm. philosopher, politician, and scientist. He died mm -hmm. 65 AD, and it's out of his Questionis Naturalis. And the quote is as goes. How many discoveries are reserved for the ages to come, when our memory shall be no more, for this world of ours contains matter for investigation for all generations. Ooh. Mm. I just had to think about the black hole, and then I was like, yeah, that actually works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a great thinker, a philosopher, yeah. and he, he, was, he was a tutor to uh, Nero. Hmm. I see how that went. Yeah, pretty well. Pretty well. He knew he knew his shit, uh, but <laughs> couldn't he do enough for a disturbed person like Nero. No, right. But isn't it fantastic? Isn't it fantastic? In all seriousness, that we have written records going back thousands of years. Yes, and we can learn things and hear wise things said from people who are gone since a long time ago. Yeah. Oh well. So great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I really like that. It's absolutely amazing. But the problem that we see every day as skeptics applies to the, the history as well. It blows my mind how elaborate stories we tend to spread about these people, even though much of the evidence that you mentioned is, well, sporadic at best. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> right. And there are That's like true. famous famous quotes of famous people that they never said. That That's right. like, yeah, or, or, or fuck knows if they said it. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, but we have to apply a little bit of caution there and skepticism exactly. you know, when that we interpret true. them. But, yeah, still, yeah. But still. yeah, it's still amazing. Yeah, think of the fact that um, we cannot even be sure of what someone said three years ago <laughs> Even though we have evidence, because there is there are video recordings <laughs> of, of what he said, we cannot be sure. But don't bring the mood down now, Andros. This is <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. Let's just think about the investigation for the generations. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Wandering <laughs> off all the time. So thank you very much, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so and spread the word. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can
biology is supposed to be your field. That's not a chipmunk. It's a di- it's a, it's a dying like a chipmunk that is monster. that is slurping up water <laughs> from I don't or, or blood blood. <laughs> Oh, I've got it. It's a squirrel it zombie and it's squir- slurping up brains. Zombie squirrel. <laughs> that's, that's, what zombie squirrel. that's what it is. <laughs> Unless. <laughs> <laughs> Unless. And we leave that f- sentence <clears throat> unfinished. That <laughs> <laughs> I saw you uh, reshuffling. The, the, are, you, are you done shuffling? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> okay.